If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to uh, John chapter 16, put a marker there, and or just put a finger there because we're going to go there real quick, and then Ezekiel 36. So we're in the New Testament, John, find that, but then, uh, and put a hand or a finger there, and then find Ezekiel uh, 36. Now, Ezekiel is going to be after Psalms. It's going to be there, and it's going to be, those are the major prophets going to be before all the Hosea, Haggai, Zacharias, and Malachi, which is a minor prophet. So it's before Matthew, between Psalms and Matthew. So I'll give you a, just a second to find that. Um, I'm going to do something that I've never done before, and uh, I'm going to re-preach a series that I preached four years ago when we were in the house. How many of you were in the house with us four years ago? If you were in the house, okay. So <laughs> majority of you were not there. So this is going to be brand new for you, brand new information for you. Uh, but for those, I just felt really led last year to uh, preach this series. And uh, when I preached it before, uh, it was before we established our positions and our uh, our bylaws, and we were really establishing and laying the foundation of doctrine and positions as a church. And so uh, I preached this message in light of that. Cultivate Church was birthed out of a desire from our founding um, leaders for people to live empowered lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the whole point of why we uh, knew that God wanted us to plant. And we were led to uh, birth a spirit-filled church with integrity that taught the whole truth of the word of God unapologetically. And since we're a non-denominational church, see our makeup of members then uh, and attenders come from a variety of exposures and experiences when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And there are some of you who have had wonderful teachings on the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's work in a believer's life. And I've had some good conversations with you about that. Uh, your teaching. And then there are others who may be like me, uh, and you were not taught very well on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit uh, or his work. See, for me, uh, growing up, there was, we talked a lot about God the Father. We talked a lot about God the Son, but we didn't talk a lot about God the Holy Spirit. That's just my personal background. And now I believe there are different reasons for that. Um, I believe that uh, exploitation, sometimes of the of the spirit, um, sensationalism of the spirit, when it's sensationalized, we can see how people exploit it, sensationalize it, and we can go, nope, that's not right. But then our proclivity is is for the pendulum to swing in the opposite direction. And that's where we, a lot of us uh, were. We were in backgrounds where we, we, we knew something wasn't right there. So we went all the way on the opposite. And it's just as dangerous on the, on this extreme as it is on that extreme. And because of misunderstanding, maybe, or ignorance and fear, the Holy Spirit in many cases, in my experience, and maybe for you, it was ignored or skipped over or glossed over or untaught, maybe just or completely untaught, or at best, even just reduced. And the results of that, as we fast-forwarded through, the results of that is we have churches all across our country who are void of the power and the presence of God. See, that's, that's the result. And further, we see Christians living unempowered lives that are absent of the fruits of the spirit for personal growth and to be more like Christ and the gifts of the spirit that are to equip the church to build the kingdom of God. The climate of our current culture stands to prove, you just, we just look around, it stands to prove that the church in America and believers within our churches, many are ignorant to the scriptures. Would you agree with that? and are void of the transformational power of the Spirit of God that is available to all believers. Not because we don't possess it, but because it goes untapped or blissfully ignored. 
Now, that's my own personal experience. For the record, Cultivate Church believes and teaches that we serve one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We believe that the same dynamic, dunamis power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that is that dwells in us today. We have it. We believe that the Holy Spirit indwells all who believe, and he baptizes believers today like he did at Pentecost for the purpose of empowering the saints to be the church and advance the kingdom of God, and that all the gifts of the Spirit are active and distributed how the Holy Spirit sees fit. Now, those are just some of the foundational doctrinal beliefs of this church family. And my messages, all of my messages regarding the Holy Spirit have always been and will always be delivered through the lens of what I just shared with you. The title of this message today is Say Hello to the Holy Spirit. Say Hello to the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, you've heard me say before, uh, that a message includes teaching and preaching, the combination of both, right? And in some messages, you might get more preaching and good undercurrent of teaching, but it's there, but more preaching. And then in some messages, you're gonna, it's gonna be some teaching with some good preaching underneath it, right? You understand what I'm saying? This is gonna be a teaching series. If you're okay with that, we're gonna dig in throughout this series and just really learn and teach. And I love to teach and preach on this. Okay. And we're going to learn the basic doctrines of the Holy Spirit and how he affects our lives. Now in Ezekiel, where you're turned, God made a promise here. We're about to read about a promise that he made that he would establish a new covenant with his people. And it would be a paradigm shift on how he relates to his people. I want us to see what he has to say about that. So if you would stand in the honor of reading of God's word, we're going to pray before we read, but then we're going to read Ezekiel. And then before we sit down, we're going to go ahead and read on over in John. So we're going to get all of our reading out of the way while we're standing up. That sound good to you? Okay, let's pray together. So Holy Spirit, now as I teach on you, I empty myself. I ask that you fill me. Speak through me. And Lord, would you guide us into all truth about who you are? And Lord, would you transform our lives today through the power of your word and your presence? Lord, I surrender all that I am. I desire to teach your people with integrity and a word straight from your throne. May it be so. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Ezekiel 36. We're going to begin in verse 22. And so let's read about this promise. Therefore, give the people of Israel this message from the sovereign Lord. I am bringing you back, but not because you deserve it. I am doing this it to protect my holy name on which you brought shame while you were scattered among the nations. In other words, he's saying here, I'm going to grace you. I'm, I'm going to grace you right now. You don't deserve it, what I'm about to do. For you, I'm going to grace you. I will show how holy my great name is, the name on which you brought shame among the nations. And when I reveal my holiness through you before the, their very eyes, says the sovereign Lord, then the nations will know that I am the Lord. So he's going to show them in spite of his people. For I will gather you up from all the nations and bring you home again to your land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Now, this sprinkle clean water, by the way, is symbolic of the, the ritual of cleansing that they, uh, that they expressed during that time. But he's, he's meaning it something new, fresh and new. 
your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you and I will take away out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. By the way, he's telling them here, uh, we're gonna, we're going to, I'm gonna complete the law and I'm gonna be working with you from the inside out now instead of from the outside in. Okay, that's what he's saying. And I will put my spirit, my indwelling spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. So here's the promise pattern. Don't sit down. Here's the promise pattern. Through Jesus, okay, a new covenant will be established. So he's talking about, we're going to establish a new covenant. Believing in Jesus and being born again, our sins are washed away and we're justified. Before God, because of the blood, we're justified before God. And remember we talked about a couple of weeks ago, then that when we're born again, the polarity of our heart changes. You remember that when we talked about that? The polarity changes and we won't want to do the old things that we used to do. We'll want to go a new way. We'll be transformed. There's a transformation. And our hard, unresponsive hearts will be swapped for tender, responsive hearts. And that means there's going to be a new mode of response that he's going to be dealing with us. And when he changes our hearts, the spirit of God comes in. He comes in to live uh, in us and dwell in us so that we can follow by his word. So it's he washes, he transforms, he swaps out, he indwells. And so what God is doing here is he's saying, I'm going to equip you for me, for you to be able to be in relationship with me and for us to relate together. That's what he's saying. I'm equipping you. That's what he's saying. Now, fast forward to the New Testament, John 16. In fact, I want to start in chapter 15, verse 26. So it's the last two verses of chapter 15. So here's Jesus. He's doing, he's teaching them. He says, but I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the father and will testify all about me. And you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. Chapter 16, verse 1. I have told you these things so you won't abandon your faith. For you will be expelled from the synagogues and the time is coming when those who kill you will think they are doing a holy service for God. In other words, I'm going away. You're going to experience something new. The church folks aren't going to like it too much. The religious leaders aren't going to like it, and they're going to try to kick you out, okay? This is because they have never known the Father or me. Yes, I'm telling you these things now so that when this happens, you will remember what I'm saying. You remember my warning. I didn't tell you earlier because I was going to be with you for a little while longer. But now I'm going away to the one who sent me, and not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead. You grieve because of what I told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. There is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. God bless the reading of his word and you can be seated. Now, Jesus is in his last hours. He's pouring into his disciples. He's telling them what's to come. He's telling them, guys, the promise is coming. It's imminent. He was teaching them the who, the what, the when, the where, the why of all things regarding the Spirit, among other things. Now, here's the deal. If you read in scripture, you'll pick up, uh, they knew about 
the Spirit before the Spirit came. The disciples knew about the Holy Spirit before the day of Pentecost. That was not their first encounter with the Holy Spirit of God. Okay. When Pentecost came, what were they doing? They were in the upper room praying, anticipating, ready, waiting for the Spirit to come upon them. We can see in the New Testament before the Holy Spirit came in earnest at Pentecost, Jesus had already died. He's risen again, and it's this, it's before he ascends. Remember, there were 40 days after he rose from the grave that he was doing some teaching. He was going around to them. We see that before he was preparing them for the Spirit to come. In John 20, 22, Jesus had already appeared to them. He appeared to them behind closed doors and that he had not yet ascended. And he said, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. According to the Greek here, it's, this was giving them life. This was the indwelling Holy Spirit coming there. In Acts 1, 2, Luke wrote this, that Jesus was teaching them through the power of the Holy Spirit. Luke knew that Jesus was doing his work through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1, 4, Luke wrote that John's baptism was in water, was for the repentance of sin, and then that there would be a baptism baptism in the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1.8, they knew that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them to be witnesses, preaching, teaching, discipling, to empower, and to spread Christianity around the world. Here's the point. They knew about the Holy Spirit. They were educated. They were educated. So what do we need to know about the Holy Spirit? What do we need to know? Here's number one if you're taking notes. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Now, somewhere along the way, this truth was abandoned by many pulpits. In fact, over the years, I remember there was one time we were in the other building. I expressed this truth and someone walked out. See, we've gotten the wrong idea about the Holy Spirit, I'm afraid, in many of our churches. We can mentally disconnect the Spirit of God from God the Father and God the Son, somehow. I want you to hear me. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is a true and equal part of the Trinity. When I preached this series before, I made a graphic. I, 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 I drew a graphic that <laughs> uh, expressed what I mean here. Um, anybody remember this, by the way, me sharing this graphic? Okay. I thought it was brilliant. Uh, but what, what I wanted to convey here, I'm just kidding, by the way. Uh, what I wanted to convey here, what it was the Godhead, it was three in one. God the Son, God the Father. God the Holy Spirit in one Godhead. Now you can explain that in many ways. I've heard that illustration given. You can describe it as an egg. You know, you got the hard shell, you got the egg white, you got the egg yolk. It's still an egg, all of whatever. I've heard it described as, you know, a person. Uh, I am a, a father, I'm a husband, and I'm your pastor. I'm, I'm one person three in three ways, but I'm one person. Well, it doesn't matter how you want to to uh, envision that. It doesn't matter. Here's why. Uh, I chose a crown for this reason. Because you cannot separate the Trinity and crown him Lord of your life. That's why I chose a crown. See, it's important to understand that. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have always been. They have always been. They were all before creation, during creation, and since. They have always been. I want to show you. Genesis 1.1. Look at this. We're going to be teaching here. In the beginning, God. Now, we'll stop right there. That's a mouthful. In the beginning, God. This word God is Elohim. Elohim is a plural word used in the singular context. In the beginning, God created, by the way, that word created, this is a sidebar, this is free. He created from nothing, by the way. He created the heavens and the earth, everything spiritual and physical. The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters, verse 3. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Fast forward to Genesis 1.26 and he says, Then God, 
again, the word Elohim, which was plural again, used in the singular context, said, let us make man in our image to be like us. Us, our, and us, all of them are used in the first person plural. You follow me in grammar? I believe that the us and the are here was a conversation that God the Father was having with the Godhead. Now, what makes you believe that, Pastor? Here's why I believe that. John 1.1 says this, in the beginning was the word, who's the word? Jesus is the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. And the word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never distinguish it. Now, if that doesn't tie up any loose ends for you, here's John 17, 5 that says Jesus was praying to the father and he says, now father, bring me into your glory the glory that we shared before the world began. They have always been the God head, three in one. You cannot separate the three. Now, why is there a Trinity? Why is there a Godhead in three persons? Now, I, 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 don't, I want you to never forget this. The God, the parts of the Godhead are eternal and be one thing. Now, I said that like I meant it. The Godhead is eternal and be one thing. And that one thing is love. God is love. Now, I'm not using that word as an emotion or a feeling. Love in scripture is not a noun. It's always a verb. It's always a verb. It describes the state of being, the occurrences, and the actions of God. That's what love does. God the Father defines the love of God. God the Son demonstrates the love of God and God, the spirit delivers the love of God. You with me? So here's the point. You cannot separate them. Here's why. If we view the Holy spirit in any other way than God, we will not relate appropriately to him. And we can never be fully in an intimate relationship with God the Father or God the Son without appropriately relating to God the Holy Spirit. In other words, you cannot ignore, run away from, be scared of the Holy Spirit and anything that He has to offer and be in an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. It is impossible. If you believe in the Trinity, the Holy Spirit is God. Here's number two, the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's the third person of the Trinity. John 16, seven says, if I go away, I will send, what's the word he uses? I will send him or comfort to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin. Notice the scripture, not only here, but all throughout, it never uses the term it when referring to the Holy Spirit. Scripture always refers to the Holy Spirit in the proper, either the Holy Spirit or uses he or him to refer to him. Let me ask you this question. What distinguishes something as a person from a thing? What distinguishes something as a person from a thing? What do people have that things don't have? Life. Okay, what does scripture call life? We're born with a soul, with a soul. Every human being born, born with a soul. According to scripture, every person born with a soul, and that's the seed of your emotions. Your soul is what drives you. The soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. 
It's how before you're a believer, it's how you make decisions. It's how you, it's how you get up every morning. It's how you, it's how you choose to do what you do. It's, it's what drives you. It's your motivation. That's how, it's how you live. Out of the soul, a person has thoughts, desires, and feelings. You have thoughts, desires, and feelings. Now, you might not make this connection. It's, but the Holy Spirit also has thoughts, desires, and feelings because he's a person. I want to show you the work of a mindful intelligence of the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians 2.10 says this. You can pick up this. For God has unveiled them and revealed them to us through the Holy Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things diligently, even sounding and measuring. The profound depths of God. The divine counsels and things far beyond human understanding. For what person knows the thoughts and motives of a man except the man's spirit within him? So also no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we've received not the spirit of the world, but the Holy Spirit who is from God so that, that we may know and we may understand the wonderful things freely given to us by God. The Holy Spirit has a mind of intelligence, the mind to search the things of God, to communicate them to us. If you're a believer, you have someone living inside of you that knows everything about everything. Did you know that? There is nothing that just ever occurs to the Holy Spirit. There's not a, a something that you go through that you're like, Oh, that kind of caught me off guard. Let me get plan B out. The Holy Spirit never has to do that. Every question you ever ask him, he knows the answer. Every every problem you go to him with, he has the answer. He knows. He knows. The Holy Spirit is all-knowing. Now, did you know this? He has committed himself to be your teacher and to lead you into all truth. He's committed himself to that. I want you to look back at verse 12, 1 Corinthians 2, 12. He said, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the Holy Spirit is from God so that we may know and understand the wonderful things freely given to us by God. You'll never understand the wonderful things of God that you already have freely been given to you unless you get to know intimately the Holy Spirit of God. So my question is, why wouldn't anybody want to get to know the Holy Spirit? Why wouldn't anybody want to do that? He has the mind of God because he is God and he's living inside of us. So why would someone not want to get to know the Holy Spirit? Now, here's my answer to that. I believe that it's because of lies and the enemy's discreditation of the truth of the Holy Spirit. And a lack, you know what it really? I believe it's a lack of belief that he really is God. And that he has good things to give to his children. There are entire theological systems that have reduced the Holy Spirit to a force that hovers and does stuff. He's like crazy cousin Eddie or something. It's like we have to invite him along. But we have failed to teach that he's a person to get to know. Or there's this other belief that he's an automatic force that indwells and put spirituality, our spirituality, on autopilot. And that's just as dangerous. See, our spiritual maturity is not automatic just because we're a part of the family of God. you follow me? Just like the emotional and mental maturity of a child, of your children, it's not automatic just because they're raised in your home and just because you try to steer them and guide them correctly. If we do not see him as God, if we do not see the Holy Spirit as God, we will not view and respond to him correctly as the authority of our lives. We won't do it. 
And if we do not see him as person, we will never develop a growing and dynamic relationship with him where he is working in and through you supernaturally empowering you to do his work. You won't do it. Not only does he have a mind, but he also has a will. I want to show you. First Corinthians 12, 11. It is the one and only spirit who distributes all these gifts. He alone, look at this, he decides which gift each person should have. That's the Holy Spirit's work to distribute the spiritual gifts. So he can will for you to have something. But did you know this? He can also forbid you to do something. Did you know that? Acts 16, 6 says this. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were, what's the word? Forbidden by whom? The Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. One of the questions I get the most from believers that are seeking to be obedient is, how do I know the will of God? Pastor, how do I know the will of God? And that's a great question. Now, here's how I explain it. So take this with a grain of salt, but here's how I explain it. There is one will of God, but two distinctions. There is the general will of God, which can be found in the word of God. Since he never changed, since God never changes, see, and the word is useful for reproof, correction, for instructions and guidance, we can read the word of God and it will show us the will and the ways of God. You following me? Okay, we can read scripture and know what God would want. We can know his ways. We can know how he'll respond to things. We can know that. Okay, that's the general will of God. And then there is the specific will of God. The specific will of God is known by having a dynamic and intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. All right, where he's saying, the Holy Spirit then is saying, you see that person over there? I want you to go say this to them. You see that extra $100 in your bank account? I want you to go give this to them before the 15th, before the end of the month, whatever. You see that person? Here's what you need to know about them. Here's what you need to know that they're struggling with so you can pray for them. Those are the specific things that the Holy Spirit can reveal to us if we're in dynamic relationship with him. Here's an example. If you want to know how to work, the Bible can tell you that. Okay, if you want to know the ethics in which to work, the Bible can tell you that. If you want to know which job to take, the Holy Spirit's going to have to tell you that. You following me? If you want to know what a healthy marriage looks like, if you want to know how to treat your spouse, the Bible can tell you that. The will of God, the general will of God in Scripture can tell you that. If you want to know who to marry, the Holy Spirit's going to have to tell you that. You following me? Okay. Here's the truth, though. His specific will will never, ever, ever, ever contradict his general will. Never, never, no, never. Will never contradict. Now, here's the beautiful thing. Everyone in this room, everyone who is a believer, can know the specific will of God for their lives. You don't need anybody else. You don't need me to tell you. Young, old, men, women, black, white, it doesn't matter. Everyone in here can know the specific will of God for their lives. Acts 2, 17 and 18 is a prophecy from Joel. It says this, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all my people. Who, who? Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And in those days, I will pour out my spirit, even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. Doesn't matter. You have his word. You have his spirit. He has a mind. He has a will. Here's a scripture that shows the Holy Spirit's emotions. He has emotions. Ephesians 4.30 says this, and do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember that he has identified you as his own. 
guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Okay, don't bring sorrow to him by the way you choose in your flesh nature to live your life. Then Galatians 5.22 says this, and you're going to recognize this. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All right. Now we know that we know those as the fruits of the spirit. Okay. Those are the attributes. Notice that all of these attributes and characteristic, they're characteristics of a person. Do you notice that? But it's the Holy Spirit who produces them, not us. It's the Holy Spirit within us that produces the fruit of the Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit cannot produce something in us that he doesn't possess himself. You follow me? Okay. So then that means that the Holy Spirit is also love. He's also joy, experiences. He is joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Now, between Ephesians 30, what was the emotion that was there? Do not bring the Holy Spirit sorrow. In, in the fruit of the Spirit, what's one of the emotions there in that list? Joy, a range of emotions, sorrow and joy. He has emotions because he's, he has them because he's a person. Not only that, the Holy Spirit speaks. Hebrews 3, 7 says, that is why the Holy Spirit says, that's the key right there, Today, when you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Also, did you know this? That the Holy Spirit can be lied to. And, and see, that speaks to the intimacy in which we have with the, whole, the person Holy Spirit. Acts 5.3 says this. Then Peter said to Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit. And you kept some of the money for yourself. Do you remember that story? You lied to the Holy Spirit. I don't want anybody ever coming up saying that to me. Now, why does the Holy Spirit have all of these things? Why does he have a mind, will, and emotions? Why can he speak? Why, do, why, can, why is that? Why does he have that? Why is it important for us to know that he's a person? Listen, it's important to know because it's the way that he relates to us and loves us. Because the Holy Spirit is God. He loves me. He's trying to relate to me because he's trying to help me. He's trying to help me. He's trying to transform my person, my mind, my will, and my emotions to be like his person, his mind, his will, his emotions. That's why. Okay, now I have another graphic. I have another graphic. This is a bad one, but it is one. Okay. Uh, so we'll say this is our soul. Okay, this is us. I got one hand. Okay, it's there. So our soul, our mind, will, and emotions, we're all born this way. Okay, hello, this is my soul. Okay, well, this is, we'll call this Bubba. Bubba has a soul. Okay, he's driven. He gets up every day. He goes to work. He tries to make moral decisions. He knows right and wrong. He's we all this stuff he's got. He buys him a house. He gets him a car. He has friends. He's got he's got relationships. He even goes to church. He does the things. He reads books. He does this. All driven by his soul, his flesh nature. We're all driven by our flesh nature, every single one of us. When we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit goes. Right there. Notice that I didn't take this hand away. See, that's why it's not automatic. When we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes in to dwell, but our flesh nature, is it gone? Automatic? No, or we'd be like Jesus. So the Holy Spirit's not automatically firing on all cinders here, but he's come to be with us now. And then here's the deal. As you submit your flesh nature, as you seek the mind of Christ, as you try to to make his will your will, as you begin to die to yourself, guess what the Holy Spirit begins to do? He begins to take over. He begins to infiltrate. And guess what that's called? Guess what? It's a big word that starts with S. Sanctification. Yes. He begins that work of sanctification where we're dying to our flesh nature and he's trying to take control. Now, when will that be complete? 
when we're one day face to face with Jesus, we'll always have to deal with the flesh here on earth. Nobody's ever figured it out how to get rid of it all the way between here and now. One day when we're like Jesus, we're face to face with him. But here's the battlefield. Here's why the Holy Spirit transforms us to want to think how God thinks. He wants the des- for us to have the desires that God has and for us to feel how God feels. That's why. That's why he has emotions. That's why he has it so that he can take over ours. He can replace ours with his. That's the whole point. That's the point. That's why we have to see him as a person. We have to so that he can transform our person. Here's the third thing. Not only is God a spirit, Holy Spirit, God and is a person, but the Holy Spirit is our helper and our teacher. Verse in John 16, 7, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away. You know how? How is it best? Even possible? Is it best for Jesus to go away? Have you ever thought? Do you wish that we just had Jesus in the flesh sitting right here telling us, nope, don't do that. Yes, do that, and teaching us. Don't you wish? Don't you wish Jesus could be your pastor? Yes. Of course. Um, here's the reality. It was intentional. It was God's plan that Jesus, fully God, became fully human in the flesh. He was local. Jesus was local. He chose to clothe himself in humanity and experience the boundaries that human beings experience. He chose to do that. Because he's God, fully divine, fully God. He chose to clothe himself in humanity. That's how he could do that. Why? The whole reason he did that is so he can re- could relate to us. So we could relate to him and experience what we experience. Jesus, in scripture, historically set up shop in Jerusalem around that area. But for the new covenant that God wanted to establish, what he wanted to establish through his people, what he wanted to do was to jumpstart the church. This is what we are. That would open the door then for Gentile believers, that's you and me, Jews and Gentiles both, to be a part of the family of God. We're grafted in, by the way. The Holy Spirit then, in order for that to happen, the Holy Spirit would need to come and stay in a way that he had never done so before. The Holy Spirit, now don't get me wrong, the Holy Spirit has been active all throughout history and before history. He's been active. He was filling, he was speaking, he was guiding, he was teaching, he was anointing all then, Old Testament, all over the place, which he would not stop doing in the New Covenant. Now, though, God the Father has a new dispensation, though, of of space and time for the Holy Spirit, for him to dwell in our hearts. John 16, 8 says this, and he, when he comes in fullness, will convict the world of the guilt of sin and the need for a savior and about righteousness and about judgment, about sin and the true nature of it because they don't believe in me or my message about righteousness, the personal integrity and godly character, because I'm going to my father and you will no longer see me. And about judgment, the certainty of it, because the ruler of this world, Satan, has been judged and condemned. Now, here's how you can remember this teaching, by the way. Um, And you've heard me quote this passage often, the whole, what the Holy Spirit came to do to, uh, convict the world of sin and of righteous of the coming judgment. You have, haven't? Please tell me you have, because I've said it a lot. Okay. <laughs> um, here's how you can remember that. Sin is the truth about man. Righteousness is the truth about God. Judgment is the inevitable combination of those two truths. You follow me? So you can remember. When the Holy Spirit came, when the Holy Spirit came in this New Testament covenant, his work was to convict us of sin, of God's righteousness, of who he is, and then what happens with between sin and righteousness, with God's righteousness, which is judgment. 
Now, if you look at the word convict, he came to convict us. That word is this is if translated is the word convince to convince his he's working to convince someone of these things the world of sin now why convict us or convince us of sin why see we don't like conviction we don't like it we don't like it we'll do anything we can to stay away from it often but if we don't believe that we're sinners we will never believe that we need a savior Now, sin, if you're here and you've never heard a definition of sin, sin, you could boil it down to this, is separation from God, any degree. You can be one degree separated from God and still be in sin. Sin is simply separation from God. And for us to see our separation, see, if we see our separation, if we see that by automatic, we see and acknowledge God's righteousness and understand then that there's dissonance there. It's there's dissonance. The Holy Spirit uses this dissonance, this separation to convict us and lead us to repentance, to agree with God. God, you're right. I'm wrong. I'm not going in the right direction. And the Holy Spirit uses that for us to profess that Jesus is the Son of God and that salvation in order for us to know God's righteousness is through Jesus Christ alone. It is the Holy Spirit's job to save people. Did you know that? It's his job to save. By the way, that does not let us off the hook. That does not take the wind out of our evangelistic sails because God chooses to cooperate with his people. He chooses to do that. It is our job to tell people about Jesus, to show people how to live like Jesus, and to tell people to be a witness of what Jesus has done for us. But it's the Holy Spirit's job to save. It's his, it's his job to teach, to lead us. Look what else. John 16, 8 says, And when he comes, he'll commit the world of sin, the guilt and need of a Savior, and about righteousness, the judgment, about judgment and the certainty of it, because the ruler of this world, Satan, has been judged and condemned. In other words, the Holy Spirit is speaking to the hearts of men, women, boys, and girls to convince them, listen to me, that the sin road is the road that leads to eternal consequences. Have you ever been talking to someone randomly and they're not believe they're not a believer and you know they're not a believer and they've admitted to you um I I I know I'm not living right uh I I know I can't go on living like I'm living I really want something different for my kids. I, 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 we probably need to be in church. Uh, I, I, I need, I, I, I need a, ch a change. I, I'm looking for a change. Have you anybody ever been in a conversation with a non-believer that has expressed those things in some, in no uncertain terms? They've expressed those. Yes, all of us have. You know why? Because we know something in our knower. We know something in our knower. As the Holy Spirit over the years has kind of tuned my eye to this, what He's doing. I can see more, I can see his work more and more in those kinds of conversations and those questions. When people make those kinds of statements like that, I can know the Holy Spirit's at work. When a non-believer realizes that they need a change in their lives and will come to a place where they want to go into a different direction, you can know for certain that the Holy Spirit is involved in that kind of thinking. We don't come, that's not our flesh nature. That's not our flesh nature. You've got to know that the Holy Spirit is at work in that kind of talk. They don't know that it's the Holy Spirit. All that they know is that they need there's some there's something missing and that there needs to be a change. Guess what? The Holy Spirit has been right there knocking on their door. He's been doing his work of convincing them, convicting them. They know in their knower. 
They know when they're nowhere. The Holy Spirit is at work convincing people that judgment has already come to sin. Have you ever thought of it that way? People know sin, it ain't good. We know right and wrong, good and bad. We know that. And anyone who is clinging to sin or living in sin, it's not going to end well and they need a change. It's the Holy Spirit who tells them that. The sin has already been judged. Now, let's flip this coin over. Not only is the Holy Spirit convincing the unbeliever that they're they're on a sinking ship and need to get off, but he's also convincing and convicting the believer that judgment is coming. There's not much worse than a believer, in my opinion, who is impotent and neutralized in the kingdom because they have no urgency for the gospel and the coming judgment. All of us in this room, all of us on planet earth, listen to me. We will be judged for what we have done with Jesus. We will be judged for what we have done with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It will either be, did you receive it or did you not? And if the answer was yes, did you share it? Did you steward it? Did you foster it? Did you live it? The Holy Spirit is speaking to all of us today on what we're to do with what we've been given. And time is running out. And the judgment of God is coming. And I pray to God that people outside of this room hear my voice say, the judgment of God is coming. You must be born again. And the Holy Spirit is convincing you of that because that's his job. And he's really good at his job. He's really good at his job. We cannot afford to not know. Listen, church family. We cannot afford to not know about who the Holy Spirit is and his work around us, in us, and through us. And today we can nail down these truths. He is God. He is a person. And he's our teacher. He's our helper. He's our God. We can nail down those truths. Yes? Say hello to the Holy Spirit.